Are you passionate about making a difference through design? Join us at the Human Centered Design Network's Circle, a new private community for change makers just like you. Connect with like minded professionals, gain exclusive rights to monthly learning opportunities, and lead the change in human centered design. For more information, see thisishcd.com. Now, let's get back into that episode. Hello and welcome to Bringing Design Closer. My name is Jerry Scullion and I'm a service design practitioner based in Dublin City, Ireland. Today I caught up with Alette Gagan, a GDPR legal specialist based in Nantes, France. We chat about all things GDPR related and run through a typical research scenario of gathering data as we research, storing that data and also deleting that data and all the implications from a GDPR perspective as we research. We speak about informed consent and also how we as a design community can actually work better with legal teams to ensure that we don't call it out at the last minute with some additional legal requirements and risk disrupting the beautiful experience that we most likely have designed by interrupting it with pop-ups, all for compliance. Anyway, let's get straight to it. Alette, a very warm welcome to Bringing Design Closer. How are you? Oh, fine. And thank you for inviting me in your podcast. Absolutely no problem. We're, we're delighted to have you here. And I know there's people in the, the Slack channel as well that are, are really interested in, in this podcast in particular. And today, um, you know, we're going to chat about the exciting topic of GDPR. Yeah. And I'm being a little bit kind of um, funny when I say that. But let's start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do, Alette. I've been doing uh, bespoke uh, development for uh, business, uh, like business application for SMBs in uh, manufacturing industry. And uh, when the GDPR kicked off two years ago, I was very interested first uh, as a personal interest. And then my client asked me, well, we are not sure about that. Can you help us with that? And I said, sure, because uh, I already had a very serious interest in privacy and data protection. So it was a good starting point. And so when I started helping my client, I also noticed that a lot of other developers and uh, SaaS business owners had questions, a lot of questions about GDPR, how you go with that, what thing you have to do or what thing you have to not do. And so I started putting together a workshop, talking in conferences, in meetups. And so every time someone asks a question about GDPR, I try my best to just make things clear. Yeah, which is great. <laughs> yeah. But in fact, you know, when you are um, a developer, someone who is used to write code, Reading GDPR is the same as reading specs for a new language or a new package. It's the same. Yes. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of ironic because like, you know, in times past, the legal terms have been confusing and GDPR hasn't actually made it any better. It's still confusing. Well, uh, I wouldn't say that because I think the GDPR uh, made a lot of effort to be very straightforward, to have a very few legal jargon. It was an endeavor of the European Commission to make sure that the GDPR was readable. And in fact, it's quite clear. 
It is quite clear, and we're going to get into that a little bit more in around the the tactical implementation of of GDPR, because I know in the community, everyone has been uh, chiming in on this because there's there's lots of questions, and that's where my, my statement came. It's not entirely clear. It might be clear how to understand it, but it's not clear how to execute it. Yes. And that's what we're hoping to clear up today a little bit more. So, Alette, well, what do you think prompted GDPR? Where did it come from? Well, first, just let me tell you that uh, GDPR had been in the making since I think it was 2012. Okay, it's been on the horizon since then. Yes, it took four years to put every country in Europe in the same page to write this regulation. And what prompted it is because people were aware a lot of personal data was harvested across every countries and services and product. And it was starting to be a, a problem, especially for Europe. Europe has this history of being very sensitive to privacy, protection of privacy. Uh, mm-hmm. It's uh, the sense of history. So, yes, I think it was kind of a historic things to have Europe put this regulation. But, you know, other countries also have privacy regulations. Uh, mm. It's not only Europe. Canada has one, Switzerland, New Zealand, uh, some other countries. Japan just passed one. So it's yeah. not only Europe. Which is good. <laughs> I think it's a sense of history now. What do you mean? Well, you know, uh, like we don't remember when the first cars went into production and on the road. It was like a hundred years before. Yeah. But at some point, you had to put on some regulation because, you know, cars were dangerous. And now we are in, you know, 20 years into uh, internet and uh, all these marvelous things happening. But there is some kind of dark side of it and we need some rules. Yeah, <laughs> which is a great segue. So speaking of rules and maybe describing things, how would you describe GDPR, say, in layman terms? So if you if you had to speak to like a child and say, well, what is GDPR? How, how do you describe it? Okay, I would describe it. If you want to have something private, you should have the right to have it private. And then if you are not so much a child, but someone with a building product is just, if you are building a product, just put yourself in the shoes of the user and ask yourself, if it was my data, would I be okay with what I'm going to do with it? Yeah. It's a basic of uh, what is GDPR, is having a fair and honest use of data. We need data to do business uh, services. There is no question about that. But yes. the question is how you use it. Is it a fair use? Yeah. And how you transfer that knowledge to the the customer or the person using the products or services. Yes. And this is where you come handy. Yeah. <laughs> As a service designer and uh, UX design people who are, who are listening to this, and there's there's quite a lot of other practitioners, psychologists and anthropologists mm-hmm. and ethnographers, all part of the, the community here. 
So what we're going to do is we're going to say, take a typical scenario of a research project. And I guess I'll probably be displaying a little bit of my own process, (laughs) but um, just say for argument's sake, we were going to do six qualitative research sessions. Mm -hmm. And in those sessions, we were going to do some home visits. So I was going to do some contextual inquiry and I was going to be shadowing people around their homes. And during the course of those research sessions, I had a consent form and the the people were aware that I was going to be you know, capturing some information. So I, I might take a photograph of them, which could be stored on a digital device. And I may use a dictaphone to record the audio while I'm in the presence of those people. And I also may use my camera to take pictures of artifacts in the home, such as the environment. And there may be um, other people in the background in some of those photographs. And then I ask them a series of questions and I might get them to complete a paper survey Uh, that they fill out and they complete their name and so forth and their date of birth in in that paper survey. And then I take that research and I bring it back to my office and I take pictures of them and I I put them onto, say, a, a Google Drive or a Dropbox or a Box system and I share it with my team. And then we might extract some of the data, some of the, the sentiments and the quotes onto a shared Google Sheets. And again, um, I might, well, I more than likely will de-anonymize the, the data, so I'm not including their name. And the photographs will be stored somewhere digitally, so we can actually use them for when we're playing back the scenarios to the stakeholders, the people who are involved on the, the project that are not actually their stakeholders, that they're not doing the work, so to speak. And then um, afterwards, we create our, our insights and we, we move forward with the project. So just saying, like, if that's a typical scenario, and there's probably a few gaps there, I know people are saying, oh, you forgot this. <laughs> if that was a typical scenario, and you can see that we're, we're capturing artifacts and digital artifacts and paper artifacts there, what are the risks there from a GDPR perspective and what I've gathered? In fact, uh, I understand you are capturing a lot of things and it can be sometimes really intrusive if you are in people's home and taking photographs of their interior and uh, other people. And uh, if you want to respect the GDPR, all this capture and in data, if there are personal data, it must be recorded in some capacity. So what constitutes personal data? Uh, in the GDPR sense, which is different from the personal identification information uh, of US, for example, in the GDPR sense, what constitutes personal data is any piece of information by itself or if crossed with other data can identify a physical person. So it's very, very wide. It means photograph, it means uh GPS, uh, location data, uh, identification, phone number, um, a social security number, any piece of data which can make you identify someone. Mm. And each time you store or you will collect this kind of piece of data, so you must have uh, 
legal ground, meaning uh, you cannot collect anything if either because people consent to it or because you are uh, executing a contract. So you have six legal ground. So you must make sure that you are always inside the law when you are handling personal data. And then I get the sense that in your qualitative survey, it may be the case that sometimes you could collect some very sensitive information like Mm. political opinion or religious belief or this kind of stuff. Am I right? It depends. It may happen. Yeah. These data are very a special category of data. If it was open-ended questions in a paper survey, say, what are your thoughts on this? And they wrote out, you know, some very um, explicit information on what they felt answered the question. So like their sentiments or their emotions regarding, say, a politician or trust of an organization. But they didn't name themselves in that open-ended text. Okay. So would it be right to assume that like open-ended text needs greater consideration from a GDPR perspective? Yes, if it includes this kind of very sensitive information and it's not anonymized. If it's anonymized, yeah. it's quite different. But if it's uh, you can pinpoint a person who has said that, it's yes, mm. you must handle it with really great care. Yeah. So what about the storing of the digital artifacts? This is a big one because it's, it spreads. Yes. So we are talking here about European people. Okay. It's different for other parts of the world. But for European personal data, you're not supposed to send them overseas, outside of Europe. Okay. And even for a digital service, like a transcription service that could be based in America, if you're going to send those files, upload them to another server in America, that's breaking GDPR. Well, America is kind of complicated. Okay. I would consider very much right now other possibility to stay in Europe. I know it's not very easy. It's not going to be right now, but start to consider it because things are going to be more and more complicated. And plus, you have to have a good grasp of what you do with this data. Okay, you upload to some cloud somewhere. The data should not stay there forever. You should have a way to delete it, to suppress it after uh, like... One week. uh, Well... The shorter, the better. But any kind of personal data you are storing for any purpose, it's not forever. You cannot store any personal data forever. Okay. So should that be outlined in the consent form? Whenever they're signing the consent, presumably it should include the types of artifacts that are going to be captured and the length of time and the the location of where they're going to be stored. Yes. In fact, it's more than that. You should provide the people who are collecting the information, the personal data, you should provide them with all the information they need to make an informed consent, meaning what is the purpose of the data you are collecting, how long you are going to keep it, what is Mm. the legal ground, how they can ask for the data, because you know what, they have the right to ask for their data. 
mm-hmm. and you have to provide them all of it. So best practice might be at the end of the session, showing them what data they've captured. Yes, that would be great. And then basically being explicit about what they're going to do with that information moving forward. Yes, absolutely. And uh, make sure they understand they have a right to ask the data, ask for it to be suppressed or to be updated, modified, because they consider their opinion have changed and uh, it's no longer accurate. Mm. And plus you have on your side the obligation to make sure that the data is secured. Yeah. So by secured, let's talk a little bit more about that. Because my version of security is two-step authentication on all my data, but um, that may vary from practitioner to practitioner. So what's your understanding of what secured data is? Well, uh, we have to move a big step upward, meaning first you have to have a good grasp about what is security in general, meaning how you manage your password, how you manage your devices, what is the general policy of your organization concerning uh, IT in general. And also choosing provider, you are confidently aware that they are uh, sufficiently secure. Usually, if you are using this big cloud provider, they know how to do security. No doubt about that. There are other problems about that, but not about security. But also, you have to think about who will access the data inside your organization. Basically, not everyone should have the right to access every data. This is very important because especially if you are collecting sensitive data or very personal mm. data, which should not be accessed by everyone in your organization. So you should have a proper policy chart of rights of what you should do to make sure that only the people who are directly concerned by the data access it or have the right to copy it or uh, disclose it to third party. So basically, we are talking about the organization of your department of research or customer research. But you understand that this is a general endeavor for the whole organization. GDPR cannot be just for one department. Absolutely. And I guess in what we're speaking about here is more around the understanding phase of the customer or the person using the products or services. But just moving on and say in the scenario that I've been given there, where greater understanding has arrived and the organization designs a better product and experience off the back of those insights. Mm -hmm. Now, what I'm going to move on to is the execution of GDPR and Just from speaking to people in the Slack channel for the podcast, and I know from my own experience, it seems that a lot of websites and products and services are kind of pushing the configuration of those executions onto the people using the products and services. (laughs) So like, I I arrive on a new website and I get a pop-up and I hit accept and then half the time I don't even read it. And I know from reading a lot about GDPR, that's not the desired experience. Yes. Um, you're right. It's extremely surprising for me how people can bend something very simple, which is th- this accept thing was the premise was 
don't put cookies and uh, other uh, tracking stuff on people's device without them accepting it. And it's written black and white on the regulation. You should do it in an unobtrusive way. Yeah. So all these pop-ups and things and which hide options, it's not GDPR, really not. <laughs> so how could they get consent in an unobstructive way? Just looking at it from the perspective of a product or service, they'd be like, well, we need to notify them. We need to alert them. We, we don't have any identification of them, so we can't email mm-hmm. them. So uh, the thing is, there is this concept which uh, the GDPR built upon is uh, the privacy by design framework, which uh, states seven concepts. And one of the concepts is privacy by default. By default, people should not have to take any action to have their privacy respected. Meaning you should not have this pop-up saying, uh, accept uh, to let us put some cookies and trackings. Uh, this is not the way it should be. And not only for cookies, but for, uh, for example, in mobile app which is uh, very common. You download this mobile app and you have to accept a bunch of authorization. You should not have to do that. By default, you should always default by the most privacy. Basic privacy. Yes. And if you think uh, one step further, you understand that it's going to be very complicated for some organization which rely heavily on ads because all the ads system mm-hmm. is based on spying on people. Yeah. So what are the things that we can do better at? Uh, what I've seen, and it's uh, also stated very clearly, is uh, do it by layering the information, meaning you just provide enough information in, independent of the context so the user using your service know just what he needs to know. If he needs to know more, there is a link or some other way to have more information but at the basis, just provide just enough information. So uh, you need an email. Okay, such so as say, let us uh, know your email because we need it, because we need to uh, have conversation with you further down the line. That's all you need. we need to know. Yeah. And if you need more information, then uh, maybe you need uh, some ID or something more specific. So just say uh, why you need that. Yeah. And like, it's interesting um, because what I'm going to ask next is something that I know a lot of designers and developers have have experienced firsthand and especially a lot more over the last um, maybe a year, year and a half since GDPR was implemented. And that is when you're designing new products or services and many instances of competing with, say, IT departments or technology departments and really challenging to, to get the very best experience for the, the people using the products or services. And at the 11th hour, the legal person walks into the room and states that they need to do something different. And suddenly there's no competition. Legal trumps every argument in the, in the building. I guess my, my question is, and it's, it's probably a loaded question, 
But what role do you feel design can play when working with legal to prevent that from happening? Yeah, it's a very good question. And I think everything in, is in your hand in the sense that you should have a good understanding of the GDPR because uh, the way legal says things are like legal. <laughs> yeah, black and white, binary. Yeah, and you know, they have consideration about legal risks and uh, probability of being sued, but they don't consider the user experience, the quality of the service, the business. And so I think not only uh, you as UX or service designer, but also developer must have a good understanding of the GDPR so they can discuss with the legal. Because at the end of the day, legal will not bring a user to your service. Yeah. And user, our user are using the service. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So what are the implications if you don't comply or if you're, I guess, caught out with some sort of non-compliance? Well, the implication can be very tough. Well, it's not if you are, uh, you know, collecting email address and uh, that sort of thing. Uh, let me tell you an example which happened in France this year. It was a startup who was providing an SDK for mobile application to collect uh, location data. And this startup was selling this location data to other company to show ads in the mobile app. Right. And they were doing it without the consent of the people. So uh, the CNIL, which is the Data Protection Authority in France, uh, put up a warning. But the warning is make it right or other we will find you. And it took the startup almost one year to put everything together and develop, in fact, uh, a consent management platform. Right. You know? So it yeah. can be very, very tough. It was a small company. And they did it. They did it, and the CNIL lifted the, uh, the misdemeanors. Um, yeah. But it, it was a huge setback for them. Yeah, sure, absolutely. So what is the risk? You know, if you are collecting very important data, and you are not having consent of people who are, you don't have a legal ground and you know, you have kind of a sneaky yeah. business thing. It can be re very risky. And then after that, you can be fine and fine are really huge. And it's on purpose. The fine are huge. It's because you want them to be effective. Yeah, no, absolutely. So it's not if you are collecting emails for a newsletter. You are not at risk, even if you don't do it very right. But look at what kind of data you are collecting, what you do with it, and to which third party you are disclosing it. You know, this kind of stuff. Yeah. So you're not selling it and so forth, but being transparent. Yes, absolutely. So just going on to the last point, um, mm -hmm. we're nearly finished here now. So um, you mentioned about developers and designers learning more about GDPR. Are there any books or websites that you'd recommend for people to familiarize themselves with to get more um, across GDPR? 
Well, um, my website, gdprforsas.eu, has a lot of resources, which is a good start, in fact. And I think there is some of my talk which are available on YouTube. Okay. There is slides. Uh, the slides of my talk are on my website. In fact, I always say just read the GDPR. You know, the first 14 chapters are not that complicated to read. You can do it in, you know, two uh, evenings or three evenings, just to have some understanding of what it is about. Okay, what's the website they go to get that from? Oh, just Google um, GDPR. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll try and find that and I'll put a link in the show notes. Alette, thank you so much for your time. <laughs> thank you too for having me. And uh, I hope uh, it's uh, a little more clear for all your people. Uh, do not hesitate to ask questions. Uh, even you can email me if you have some question. I always try to be uh, as helpful as I can because I think this is uh, a huge step for privacy and it's going to be complicated yeah. for quite a long time to just be compliant yeah I'll put a link to your Twitter as well in the show notes so people can reach out to you on Twitter as well Alette thank you so much so there you have it thanks for listening to Bringing Design Closer if you want to learn more about the other shows on the This Is Hate CD network feel free to visit thisishcd.com where you can also sign up to our newsletter or join our Slack channel where you can connect with other human-centered design practitioners around the world. Thanks for listening and see you next time.